Well, hey, my name's Chad, and I'm applying for the preaching position here at First Church, so no, I am so thankful that you guys, our elders, give me a summer break every single year where I can plan for 2024. We had some great stuff in store for next year. Can't wait to share some of that with you the upcoming weeks and months, but also some extended time with my family. We got to do some traveling, and it was great, so I appreciate that, and I also appreciate all the guys who filled in preaching while I was away, and so if you would, would you give it up for those guys? Thank them. Yeah, for helping us out. And while you're in the clapping mood, in addition to everybody we have here on site, this is a historic day because the first time in our history in this location, we're having three services. You're at the first ever 945 service, yeah. So we got a great crowd here. We had a great crowd in our 815 service, and I know we have a bunch of people joining us online as well. I just looked, and we've got Ashley and Rick and Aaron and Andrew and a whole bunch of others. So if you would, put your hands together. Welcome in our online family. Let them know how glad we are they're joining us as well. And like I said, my family did get to travel over the past couple weeks. We had our first ever family road trip, true road trip. We went to South Dakota, Wyoming, and my son Alex right now is into national parks and sites and monuments and all that kind of stuff. And so we hit several of them. And here's a picture of us at Badlands National Park. It was just beautiful. I mean, it was awesome. I could have spent a lot more time there than we actually did. We also went to Mount Rushmore, which is on my bucket list. Allison and I had never been there, and so I wanted to go and see it. And so that was really cool. We also went to Wind Cave National Park and we went like 208 feet underground in a cave. That was pretty awesome. And then we also went on to Wyoming to Devil's Tower. My kids thought that the devil actually lived there, but we had to tell them he didn't. It was fine. But that was really cool. That was one of my favorite parts, honestly. I love seeing Devil's Tower. And then after we went through and saw all these national sites, we went to Kentucky to visit some family. We hadn't been to Kentucky in over a year because of my wife's health situation and all that. And Alex, again, he's into national sites. So he was like, are there any in Kentucky that we can go see? Because he picked up one of these national parks passport books where you get a stamp at every national site that you go to. And so he gets to remember everywhere he went and he wanted to fill up his book. So we did some searching and we went to Red River Gorge, which is part of the Daniel Boone National Forest that's there in, uh, in Kentucky. We also went to Camp Nelson, another national monument site. But our favorite national site that we saw in Kentucky, and for that matter, and during the entire summer, our favorite national monument was Bucky's Country Store. I mean, it was great. It was awesome. Yeah. Now, they didn't have a stamp for my son's passport book, but they did have fudge, so he was content. He was fine. They do have a Bucky's in Kentucky now. They actually have two of them, so I mean, it's awesome. It's great. But we did have a fun time both planning for the future and also just spending time with family. And we were on our way back from Kentucky last Sunday because of our schedule. We had to drive back on Sunday. And so we were worshiping with you guys in the car. My kids were in the back seat. They had their headphones on. They were watching First Kid City, which they love. And then Alice and I were in the front seat. She was actually watching worship and I was listening. We both had headphones on as well. And so I was listening as I was driving, but I was participating. And so when worship was taking place, I was singing out loud. And I guess I got a little too loud because my son from the back seat said, Daddy, would you stop singing? I can't hear my church. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm just trying to worship. And he goes, well, that didn't sound like worship to me. Now. I don't know what he meant by that, but whatever. I kept on singing anyway. But whenever we're not here, we miss you guys. Because, and I don't just say this, I love this church. We have an awesome church. God is doing some phenomenal stuff in this place. And I don't wanna take that for granted 
Because I know what's happening here, all the growth that we've been experiencing recently, it isn't typical, it isn't happening everywhere. And I wanna make sure that as a church, that we are remembering the responsibility that Jesus has given us. See, Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. God has not brought us this far in our history as a church for us to stop now. God has not brought us this far for us to slow down now or just coast now. No, we believe that God still has big plans in store for us. And we wanna make sure as a church that we are continuing to listen to him. Because here's the thing, the growth that we're experiencing, it isn't happening everywhere. We hear all the time how Christianity is dying in America and the church's influence is dying in America, but that's not been our situation. And we know that God's hand is at work here and God is doing some great things. So we wanna take time to stop and pause and to celebrate everything that God is doing and has been doing in this place, but also to reaffirm the vision, the mission that he has given us. That's why every year we take time for this We Are First Church, just to remind us of our mission statement and make sure that we stay focused on what God wants us to focus on. Because we do have a whole lot to celebrate here. I mean, let me give an example. In 2022, in the first seven months of the year, so year to date, 2022, we were averaging 1,065 people on site for worship. That's just on site, in person, that's not including online. And we were excited about that because remember, that was coming out of COVID and all that kind of stuff. Things were kind of getting back to normal. And we were excited about that number. But do you know, in the first seven months of this year, what our attendance has been? 1,394. That is a 31% increase in just our on-site attendance. Now, our online attendance is growing as well, but in just our on-site attendance, a 31% increase. And if you look at our total attendance for the past six years, over the course of the past six years, our attendance has increased 134%, which is just absolutely phenomenal. It's unbelievable, really. God is definitely at work. And those aren't just numbers that we put on a screen. Those are lives that are being impacted with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we believe that God has put us here for just that purpose. But as excited as I am about those numbers, these numbers here get me even more excited. These numbers are the baptisms we've had over the past seven years. And it fluctuates depending on what's going on in life and all that. If you look at 2020, there are some odd things happening. So that was kind of an off year a little bit, but still all these are people who are coming to know Christ, being baptized into him. And over the past several years, our highest number of baptisms in a total year was 2021 at 69. So far in the first seven months of this year, 2023, we've already had 83 baptisms. How great is that? Yeah. Lives are being changed in this place and we still have half the year left. Lives are being changed in this place and we're seeing growth happen across the board from our next gen ministries. I mean, we're building a new first kids building to accommodate all of our kids and young families to our outreach ministries, both locally and globally. We're having more and more opportunities to serve the 918 and beyond. We're seeing growth in our groups ministry, like new groups forming, such as the Moms Collective. I mean, that's been such an enriching thing for a lot of our ladies here. We're just seeing so much growth, both in online ministry and in classes and all sorts of stuff. But we're also seeing a lot of growth in something that we don't really talk a whole lot about, but it's an important thing. 
And it's our TV broadcast. Some of you guys know that this past fall, we launched a TV program on Channel 2, our local NBC affiliate. And this wasn't something that we sought out. It was kind of an opportunity that we believe God just gave us. It fell into our lap. And so we pursued it and we weren't sure what this was gonna look like, how everything would turn out. But over the past year or so, we have received so much positive feedback. We get messages and calls and emails all the time from people all over the 918 that have been touched or impacted by First Church's TV broadcast on Channel 2. I mean, we've heard stories of guys in prison gathering Sunday after Sunday watching our program on TV. How awesome is that? We've heard stories of people turning on uh, our program in gyms as they work out. We've heard stories of our program being on in airports as people are waiting for their flights. Sometimes our Sunday morning program even gets preempted because of sports or something like that. That's out of our control, like national NBC does it. And so we don't have control over that, but they'll give us another time slot, like on a Saturday night. And we heard just a few weeks ago, there was a local bar in Tulsa that showed our program the entire 30 minutes worth of it. How great is that, you know? God is giving us more and more opportunities to reach people with the good news of Jesus. And I could just go on and tell you story after story after story, because there's a ton of them. But I got an email, I don't know, a couple months ago or so from a guy I didn't know. His name's Adam. Adam is the lead minister, the preaching minister at Redeemer Church in Tulsa, which is a pretty large church. And he sent me an email about how he was touched by our TV broadcast. Now, again, I didn't know him before this, but I thought you might wanna hear his own words. Take a look at this video. Hello, First Church in Owasso. My name is Adam Barnett. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor at Redeemer Church in Tulsa. I just wanna share a quick story with you. On May 24th, I had a rather invasive uh, brain surgery to remove a large meningioma tumor. And I'll tell you what, the next eight weeks, the recovery was really, really hard. I've still got a black guy to prove it. Uh, but you know, my wife and I, we have four children and we really wanted to maintain consistency for our kids in attending corporate worship, even though I had to stay home due to my recovery. And also my immune system was pretty weak at the time. So I wasn't expecting this, but what became one of the hardest parts of recovery was watching my wife and kids walk out the door to go to church when I had to sit down on the couch all by myself and watch Redeemer online. I did that every single week, except for one week I sat down a little earlier than expected, turned on the TV and there was Pastor Chad preaching a message that it's like the Holy Spirit ordained the entire morning just for me. It was a message that my heart needed to hear. So I just wanna say thank you to Pastor Chad, thank you to your entire congregation for sowing your time and your energy and your resources into your church so that you can broadcast the gospel on television just like you do. I was certainly a recipient that day and I know countless others are. I can't imagine how far and wide the ministries of your church are reaching. So please keep up the good work and may God continue to bless your church abundantly. God is giving us more and more opportunities to share the good news of his son. And stories like that just warm my heart. And I hope they do yours as well. And we know all this is happening, not because of us. It's not because of me or our staff or elders or any of you. It's because God is in this place. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says that whenever outsiders come to one of your gatherings, 
they should be able to say, God is truly here among you. And I think we can say that with confidence. The reason why all this is happening is because God is truly here among us. And today is proof of that. As for the first time since we've been at North Carolina, we have three on-site services. And why are we doing this? We're making more room so that more people can become followers of Jesus. And we don't wanna lose sight of our mission because we are here to make a difference in the world around us. If you've been here any time at all, you know what our mission statement is. It's five words, two statements, love Jesus, love like Jesus. And it's easy to say, but it is profound in its truth. Our mission statement is based upon what Jesus calls the two greatest commandments, to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that all of God's commandments hang on those two commands. In other words, it doesn't matter what else we do. If we're not doing this, then we are missing out on what's most important. The reason why we chose this as our mission statement is because we knew it didn't matter how great our programs were, our activities were, it doesn't matter how many people show up to church, how big our budgets are, our buildings are. If we're not loving Jesus with everything we have and loving like him, then everything we do is a waste. And so our church has rallied around this mission statement. And we wanna be a place, a community, that loves Jesus, that pursues Jesus with all of our hearts and shows other people how to do the same, but who also loves like Jesus and shows people how to love like Jesus. And I love that verbiage, love like Jesus, because it implies that we are to live like Jesus. In order to love like Jesus, you gotta live like Jesus. And what I want us to understand and be reminded of today as a church is that there is a seismic difference between liking Jesus in living like Jesus. The world is full of people who like Jesus. They admire Jesus. They like some of the stuff that he did, some of the stuff he taught. They like the idea of having a savior who will forgive them of their sins. The world is full of people who like Jesus. But our goal is to be a church that lives like Jesus. That actually put what he taught into practice. That continues to be transformed by him. Because truly following Jesus isn't about filling your head with information. It's about transformation. It's about allowing the truth of God's word to change your life because we know that the Jesus-shaped way of life is the only way to live a full life. And the world right now needs peace. The world needs hope. The world needs love. The world needs contentment. And the way that they find all those things is by living the Jesus-shaped way of life. There's a seismic difference between liking Jesus and loving like Jesus. And a lot of churches have settled for just being crowds of people that come in and say, yeah, we like Jesus. Yeah, preach on, preacher, amen. Yeah, we like what you're saying. We like Jesus. But we're not gonna settle for that. See, at First Church, we're not perfect. We still need God's grace. We mess up all the time. We don't pretend like we have our act together. I mean, we're not gonna pretend to be perfect. But we have a common goal. And that goal is to spend time with Jesus and become more and more like him. Because that's what Jesus expects of us. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter nine. Then he said to the crowd, so I want you to get this. There's a crowd of people gathering all around him. And look at what he says to this crowd, this large group of people. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way 
take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, I want you to notice a couple things here. He said to the crowd. In other words, Jesus isn't interested in just having a crowd. He had a crowd. He already had that. If he was just interested in having a crowd that all liked him, they were there. He's not interested in forming a crowd. He wants to form a movement of people who will change the world by living like him. And that's why he goes on to say, if any of you wants to be my follower, that's who he's looking for, followers. Followers who will give up their old way of life. Followers who will die daily to themselves. Followers who will actually follow him. Do you catch what Jesus here is saying? It's if you want to be my follower, then you have to follow me. I know that's pretty simple, but it is profound. It's something that we miss sometimes. Now, I want you to write this down. This is important. Are you ready? The difference between following Jesus and not following Jesus is following Jesus, okay? You actually have to do it. The real sign of spiritual maturity is not how many Bible verses you have memorized. The real sign of spiritual maturity is not how often you show up to church, even though both those things are important. The real sign of spiritual maturity is not how much you give to the offering, even though that's important as well. It's all about having the heart of Jesus. If you have the heart of Jesus, then you are gonna wanna study his word. You are gonna wanna give to the offering. You are gonna wanna be part of the church. You are gonna wanna do all those things. But it's all about having the heart of Jesus and living like him. It's actually taking his instructions and putting them into practice. And I'm convinced that what the world needs now, more than ever, is not more experts who know a lot of facts about Jesus, but examples who actually look like him, talk like him, act like him, live like him. See, that's why Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, when are the kingdom of heaven? Ouch, right? What's he saying? Not everybody who calls me Lord is gonna enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven, but only he who wants to live like me, follow me. See, in our culture today, I think we've domesticated that word follow because we follow people on social media all the time, don't we? And when we follow people on social media, what does that mean? Well, we admire them, we know some stuff about them, we like them, right? That's what we mean by following somebody. But you can follow somebody on social media and never actually know them, right? And that's how a lot of people treat Jesus. They follow Jesus, but they don't really know him. They don't have a relationship with him. They don't spend time with him. He's not transforming and changing their lives. And that's not what Jesus had in mind when he said, follow me. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant do life with me. And when you do life with me, the more you're around me, the more you will become like me. You will shine my light to the dark world around you. So when we say that we need to look like Jesus, we're not talking about his physical appearance. We really don't even know what Jesus looked like, physically speaking. I mean, the gospels are strikingly silent about what Jesus physically looked like. The only thing we really know about Jesus is what Isaiah says in that prophecy. And Isaiah says, there was nothing that stood out about his physical appearance. In other words, he just looked like every other common guy out there. There was nothing to make him stand out in his physical appearance. What made Jesus stand out was his character, was his way of life the mission that he carried out. And we are to look like him in those ways because following Jesus is more than just going to heaven. It's about becoming like the one who's leading us there. And that's our goal as a church. We want to become more and more like the one who's leading us there. And we want to show other people what that lifestyle looks like. 
because it's way too easy to become distracted and to miss what really matters to God and yet think that you're still following him. Sometimes we get weighed down by stuff that really doesn't matter to God. I made the comment earlier that my son is interested in national parks and sites and all that. And so I was doing some research on Google about different national parks and was reading about the Grand Canyon. I've been to the Grand Canyon, so has Allison, but our kids haven't. So one day we'll probably take them there. And I came across this article of a couple, a newly married couple who went to the Grand Canyon on their honeymoon. I could think of other things to do than go hiking on my honeymoon, but that's what they decided to do. They went hiking on their honeymoon down the Grand Canyon into the canyon. And when they were there, they came across a ranger cabin and the ranger and his wife were there. They were outside doing some work. There weren't a lot of people around. So the ranger said, why don't you guys take a break and we'll give you something to drink, some lemonade or something, some water, and you guys can just rest for a minute. So they did. And while they were there resting, the ranger said, can I show you something? And he took the couple to this back room he had in his cabin and it was full of stuff, like really, really expensive hiking equipment and mountain climbing equipment and technology that people had brought down into the canyon with them, but it got so heavy and they couldn't continue to carry it anymore. And this is what the ranger said to this couple. He said in the article, people can walk in easily enough into the canyon with all this stuff. They just can't walk out. And can I ask you to do something today? If we wanna be the church that Jesus is calling us to be, this is what we have to do. I wanna ask you politely and lovingly, as you come to church, put aside all the personal expectations you have and ideas that you have of what church should be or shouldn't be. Because the world will tell us a whole lot. Maybe because your background, your history, you have all these personal expectations and wants and desires of what the church should and shouldn't be. Can I ask you lovingly and politely to just set that stuff aside and just listen to Jesus and just follow him and him alone? Because that's how we will be the church that he wants us to be. That's how we will live lives that are pleasing to him. And that's how we will change the world. And a lot of people, when they come to Christianity, they approach Christianity with all this baggage, all this extra weight. Can we ask you lovingly and politely to set that stuff aside and just follow Jesus? Because that's the way to live a full and content life. Because it's possible to think you're following Jesus, but never actually live like him. We see it happen all the time in our culture. And I was reading through the Gospels the other day and I came across an example of when this happened in the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter six, Jesus goes to worship in a synagogue on the Sabbath, which if you were to back up a couple of chapters, Luke chapter four tells us this was Jesus' normal practice. It says on the Sabbath day, he, Jesus, went to the synagogue as he always did. What is Luke telling us? Jesus regularly went to worship on the Sabbath in the temple. This was his normal standard practice. Now, side note, if anybody has the right to say, I'm not going to go to church because the church is imperfect, got problems. And if anybody has the right to point out those problems, it's Jesus, right? And yet, what did Jesus do? When it was the Sabbath day, he went to worship with God's people. That was his pattern. That was his habit. If anybody had the right to say, I'm not going to worship with God's people, it was Jesus. He didn't need it, but yet he did it. Why? because he wanted to set an example for us because he knows we need it. So anytime somebody comes to me and says, you know, I don't need the church to worship God. They're not really listening to Jesus, are they? Following his example. Okay, rant over, moving on. Okay, uh, chapter six. 
So on another Sabbath, we know this is his pattern, right? Jesus goes to worship. He entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him, watching Jesus closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So Jesus shows up for worship on the Sabbath and they ask him to teach. And there's a man there in the audience that day who has a withered hand. That word in the Greek lets us know that his hand was paralyzed. We don't know if he was injured and that's why he didn't have use of his hand or if maybe he was born that way. We're not told the details, but his hand was paralyzed and he was unable to use it. Now, this would have been a huge setback in life. It would have limited what he could do for a living. People would have looked down upon him because unfortunately in this day and age, people thought that if you had some type of deformity, whether you were born with it or whether it was caused by an accident, then uh, God was judging you. That's not what the Bible says, but people actually believe that. So people kind of looked at him weird when they saw his hand. Not only that, Luke tells us this was his right hand. And that was important because in this day and age, the right hand was the hand of blessing, meaning he couldn't pass on a blessing to anyone else, to his family or whoever else. This man lived with stigma his entire life because of his paralyzed hand, his withered hand. But yet, when the Sabbath rolls around, where is he? He's worshiping with God's people. You know why? Because this man was searching, looking for hope outside of this world. And it just so happens on this day, as he's looking for hope outside of what this physical world offers him, Jesus shows up. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious guys, they see this all playing out and they think, okay, we got a man here with a withered hand. We got Jesus who's known for doing miracles. Maybe we can catch Jesus healing him and we will accuse him of doing something wrong. Because see, the Pharisees had come up with this oral law, this oral tradition, man-made tradition that said you could not do any work at all on the Sabbath. And they took that because the Sabbath was given to man by God as a command for us to take a rest one day a week and also get refreshed in him. Because God knows we can't work 24-7 and we need to take a break physically and we also need to get refreshed in him. And so it was a good thing. It was a gift from God. But the teachers of the law had turned the Sabbath command, which was meant to be a gift, into a prison. And they said, you can't do anything at all on the Sabbath, even to the point that if somebody breaks their arm and it needs to be set back in place, you can't do it. That's work. Unless it's life-threatening, on the rarest occasions, can't do it. That's considered work. It's a sin. That's how extreme they had taken this command, which went far beyond the heart of God. And Jesus knows this. So I want you to wrap your minds around this. You've got this man who's in need You've got Jesus who can help him. And instead of the Pharisees and teachers of the law having compassion for this man and thinking, man, maybe this guy can get the help that he's been longing for for years. Instead, they want to try to trap Jesus. See, their selfish motives get in the way of what God wanted to do in that moment. It blinded them to what God wanted to do. From the moment Jesus walked in the door, they were thinking, how can we catch him? And you know, the world is full of people that are always looking for the negative, always looking for a reason to criticize, always trying to find fault. You know, you know people like this. No matter what situation they're in, they always see it through a negative lens. And a lot of times they find exactly what they're looking for. 
I know, I'm very much aware, I'm not naive enough to think that in a church our size, that on any given Sunday, we don't have people who come onto this campus looking for a reason to criticize our church. They're here because, you know, their spouse wants them to be, or mama wants them to be, and they don't really want to be here, so they walk onto our campus looking for a reason to criticize our church. I know that, and if that's what you're looking for, let me tell you something, you're probably going to find a reason to criticize our church, because we're not perfect. And the teachers of the law, they're looking for a reason, and this is what I think this is teaching us. It's teaching us that how you see your situation will influence how you define your situation, what if these guys had said, you know, Jesus here is here and he does miracles and we think he may be somebody sent from God. This is what people are saying. Let's see if God's power is put on display through him in this moment. They would have been anticipating a miracle, but instead they were blinded by their selfish motives. And that happens all the time. See, our selfish motives blind us from seeing God's hand at work. It happens all the time. And it's true, not just when it comes to church, it's also true in your place of work. I mean, if you go to work, with a negative attitude, looking for something wrong, you're gonna find something wrong there, aren't you? If you go to Walmart with a negative attitude, trust me, you'll find a reason to complain about something. <laughs> if you're driving down the road with a negative attitude, you're gonna get upset at every driver that comes by you. But if you will approach life looking at your situation through the eyes of God, God may just be showing you open door after open door where he can work and use you in those same moments that normally you would have been complaining about. See, God has put us here to change the world not complain about it. And I really do get tired of Christians who sit around a lot of times on social media and just complain about everything. They complain about what's going on in Hollywood and Washington DC and not that we can't point out wrong when we see it, but they just complain, complain, complain. But in their daily lives, they never live like Jesus. The way that we change the world is not by complaining about it, but the way that we change the world is by shining the light of Jesus in the midst of the darkness. And we have opportunities every single day to do that. But instead, sometimes we just sit around and complain rather than actually jump on the opportunities that God is giving us. See, cultural Christianity complains about what the world should be. Followers of Jesus change the world by living like him. So Jesus is ready to do a miracle. And this is what happens. But he knew what they were thinking and he said to them, by the way, side note, if you're ever in the presence of Jesus and you start to have negative thoughts, don't because Jesus can read your mind, okay? So Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and he came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you whether it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And the man's hand was restored. See, Jesus knows what they're thinking. And so he says, okay, you guys are worried about breaking the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath for anyway? Didn't God give it to us as a gift? And so let me ask, is it better to do good on the Sabbath or evil? Is it better to save a life on the Sabbath or destroy a life? And Jesus waits for the answer and everybody's silent. And then he turns to the man with the withered hand. And he says, get up. And the man in front of this entire crowd gets up and comes Toward Jesus and Jesus says, stretch out your hand and the man does so and the man's hand is completely restored. Now, why does Jesus do that? Because here's the thing, the man's situation wasn't life-threatening. I mean, he could have waited a day. He'd probably gone for years with a paralyzed hand, right? So Jesus could have said, hey, listen, they're gonna, you know, like judge me and raise a stink if I heal you right now. So I'll come back tomorrow, same time, and I'll take care of you. He could have done that, right? 
Or Jesus could have said, I'll tell you what, meet me in the back afterwards and I'll take care of you, you know, so nobody sees it. Crisis averted. But that's not what Jesus does in front of everybody, even those who are criticizing him. He said, stand up. You know why? Because it's never a win to withhold God's love. Jesus is letting everyone know we have a short amount of time on this earth. And when we have the opportunity to unleash God's love, we do it because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed the next moment. All we have is right now. And so when we have an opportunity to unleash God's love, to make a difference in someone's life, we do it. And that's why the Bible tells us in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Did you catch that? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It doesn't matter what else you do. If your faith is not being expressed on a regular basis in love, then we are missing what is most important because that's how we change the world. Jesus teaches in the gospel of John, Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How will the watching world know that we are who we say we are, followers of Jesus, through the love that we show one another? We are First Church and what that means is we are here to unleash a revolution of God's love on the 918 and beyond. And we never want to lose sight of that calling. That's why in just three weeks, we're going to have our annual Your Invited series. And if you haven't been here for this, it's an awesome four weeks. We throw a party every single week. We theme out every Sunday and people can come and have biblical teaching and worship, but also we've got all this extra stuff and it's a reason for you to invite your friends and your neighbors. And we're gonna do a lot of the same stuff but some different stuff as well this year. Like week one's gonna be our tailgating party, which we typically do. You guys can wear your favorite team jerseys and colors and all that. And we have some competitions and some fun activities or whatever. You're gonna wanna invite people to that. Week two, I'm talking about here in just a second. Week three, it's gonna be a Star Wars themed week. And a lot of people, a lot of our staff members especially are excited about that, Tim Tibbles. A lot of people are really excited about that Star Wars week. I think it's gonna be a fun day. I know it is. And then the last week is gonna be the culmination of the whole thing. And it's going to be uh, State Fair Sunday. We're gonna have rides and activities and animals and all sorts of stuff here. It's a great opportunity to invite people. But week two, I skipped that because that's Labor Day weekend. And Labor Day is one of the least attended weekends of the year uh, for church services in America. But we don't wanna accept that. We attack that Sunday every single year. And every single year we have a cookout so that if you come, we have a Labor Day cookout on Sunday. It's free food, free lunch for everybody. Now that we have an 815 service, we might have to have breakfast for some people, I don't know. But we're gonna have free food for everybody who shows up on that day. But we're doing something even more special. We haven't had a First Church t-shirt giveaway in a while. And so on Labor Day Sunday, if you are here, we're gonna have a newly designed First Church t-shirt that we've never passed out before. I've already seen a mock of it. It's going to be awesome. And if you are here on Labor Day Sunday, you will get for free a First Church t-shirt and everybody that you bring with you will get them too. So we are gonna pass out t-shirts on that day. You get a shirt and you get a shirt. Everybody gets a shirt, but you have to be here on Labor Day Sunday to get it. That's the catch. Because if we have some left over the next Sunday, can you get one? If we have some left over, but you're only guaranteed to get one on that day. So go ahead and make plans. Be here on Labor Day Sunday. It's going to be a tremendous day. Maybe it'll be one of the biggest Sundays of the year. Who knows? We may have to order more shirts. We'll see. But you can pick up a card today where you can invite people to come to your invited. And we want you doing that because there are people all around us every single day who are looking for hope beyond this world. 
And this is a reason for us to introduce them to that hope. See, why did this man stand up? By standing up and Jesus healing him, he knew the Pharisees weren't gonna like it. He knew the people may not even like it, but he stood up and he didn't care what everybody else thought because he was looking for hope outside this world. There's a lot of people who are looking for hope outside this world. And when we show them that hope and introduce them to that hope, they're gonna complain. I mean, look at what happens as we wrap up the passage here. It says, but they, the teachers of the law themselves, were filled with senseless rage and began discussing together what they might do to Jesus. They're plotting to kill him now after he heals this man. Can I just let you know something? Satan doesn't like this church. Satan doesn't want us to succeed. Satan is gonna try everything he possibly can to stop what we're doing in this place. And I'm perfectly okay with that because greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. See, we know who we are. We are here to be a light to the world. We are people of hope in the midst of hopelessness. We are those who are experiencing love in a world that lives without purpose. We are a community that is shining light when people are so desperate for it. We are those who have peace in the midst of chaos. We are first church and we know we are here to change the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time we've had to open up your word and study it. And may we not lose sight of the mission that you have given us. It's easy to get distracted by stuff that doesn't matter. And we just wanna focus on what truly matters to you. So because we are First Church, your church, we pray that we continue to unleash a revolution of your love on the 918 and beyond. Because there are people all around us who need the hope that is found in your son. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.